Hello and welcome to Durst Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today, uh, post-President's Day, I guess, we're going to celebrate a national treasure, Paul Rudd. But before we do that, Buddy, I want to tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast. <laughs> on this podcast, we like to talk about games. Uh, which is convenient because this is our second movie episode in a row. We're number two. We're two for two on these. <laughs> yeah, and it's probably going to be more because we got to get through so much fast and so much furious. We have to do quite a lot of fast and also a good amount of furious uh, in the next few, you know, in the next few weeks. Um, so, yeah. But uh, today, we're, we're, yeah. we're, we're talking about um, uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Quantumania, um, uh, which uh, came out last Thursday, I guess. Um, no, as per usual, we will do a short, uh, non-spoiler, top-level opinion uh, segment, uh, and then we will go into spoiler territory relatively quickly, I imagine. Um, buddy, what are your top-level thoughts on this movie? Uh, my top-level thoughts on this film are that it's bad <laughs> um, i titled this this in the announcement post i said ant-man and the wasp of the rick and morty episode this is mostly how i felt watching the the movie except it was like unfunny it was rick and morty played dead straight generally speaking uninterested in either the scientist at like the like the science that is supposed that is underpinning a lot of this sci-fi um and also uninterested in the characters on which on like or who are who are going on this adventure right um if i am being charitable i think there's a lot of imagination on screen which is good right um i this is something i i've praised other movies for and it definitely falls in that same vein aquaman great example of this right movie i find Phenomenal. I love that film, right? And part of what I love about him is is stuff like The Fisherman King or The Brine King, right? The, you know, this massive war between the kaiju that Aquaman is summoning, the Atlantean army that Orm is using to attack, and the Brine King's crab fleet trying to de defend their volcanic homeland, right? I think all that stuff is sweet as hell. I think that's great. I think it's cool that there's a, de a desert kingdom in the middle of the Sahara and they go there and there's like a little, you know, like they, they have this little Indiana Jones adventure in the middle of it, right? Like, I think that's, I think that's great. I, I love this little montage where like Black Manta is like putting his, his blazers in his helmet and the thing, and he's in this like crazy underground, you know, like there's a lot of imagination and I could go scene by scene in Ant-Man and the Wasp, uh, Quantumania and go, this was cool. This was also cool. This other thing was cool. But at the end of the day, there's just no there there. I'm not invested in whatever the drama of the characters seems to be really at the heart of it. I think it is so no thoughts head empty as to be, I don't want you to hurt my daughter. I just, that's it. I don't think there's anything else underpinning, you know, kind of these characters or the conflict, um, on like a thematic level. Right. Um, and one truly stellar performance from Jonathan majors, uh, is not enough to elevate his character to something that I find interesting or 
compelling uh <laughs> kind of in any way i yeah man that seems really harsh i i didn't intend to be this harsh but now that i've said that all out loud i do agree with all of those things that i said so i guess i'm being pretty harsh on him and the wasp quantumania um i'm going to disagree i thought this okay. movie wasn't great but i thought it was pretty good i think it's maybe easily like the best marvel movie of the past couple of years um <sighs> woof i sure. not that's not saying much right like the past couple of yeah, years starts the, with like black the, widow like the yeah, only one that's that... sort of what i'm interested in actually I, i'm bringing up my notes so that i can see what my my rankings of these are because we've been really hard on this phase of marvel movies I, I think the only one that's a contender is wakanda forever and i think wakanda forever is worse um for reasons we discussed oh yeah movie. wakanda forever is is mid uh you know um, yeah, okay, interesting. But okay. I, I think I want to agree with you. One, I, I think the interest in the science underpinning it, this is not a science fiction movie. This is a science fantasy movie. The movie that compares, I think, the most prominently in my mind, um, uh, Bradley Rick and Morty, is Star Wars, right? Like, the, the scene in the cafe where they meet not Emperor Palpatine is definitely, like, the cantina, right? Like... I actually, when I saw the trailer, I didn't, like, do any investigation, but I thought that was, like, the actor who played um, Palpatine initially. I didn't realize it was Bill Murray, because he looked so much like Palpatine in the Galactic Senate, right? Oh, it's my God. Wow. That's that's actually really insightful. I, di I didn't get those vibes at all, but the moment you say... The moment you said that, I understood it in entirely i think i yeah i agree maybe the best touchstone would be uh huh yeah maybe the best touchstone would be uh star wars yeah no i mean the, i i i don't think it's perfect at it right it's also there's a i think this movie falls a little bit into the trap of like being too much of a piece of the larger Marvel Cinematic Universe and being its own movie. Like, I think I'll agree with you on that, right? Like, I think the idea that Paul Rudd cares very deep, or not Paul Rudd, Ant-Man, uh, Scott Lang, cares very deeply about his daughter above all else. I think that's like, like, yeah, it's not very, like, that's not very, like, um, unique, but it's like a fairly standard, you know, like, fantasy trope, right? Like, or, you sure. know, adventure trope, right? It's like, I will protect my daughter no matter what the cost. Also, you know, in the moment, um, he doesn't have a lot of context for us as to, like, why he shouldn't do a thing, right, other than he's being threatened to. Um, uh, there is some of, like, there's some of it that I, that I, uh, like, I, like, I think the, um, okay, so we're still in the noise spoiler section, but um, there are a handful of missteps, but I do think some of the stuff that I that make me groan about Marvel movies, like the Bathos, I think that was pretty appropriately contained to the comedic relief characters. I don't think it was perfect at that, but I think it was pretty good at like you know, the Modok has is in this movie and he's kind of a joke, but Modok, as I understand it, is always kind of a joke, right? It's not like anybody's sitting here and being like, no, they did Modok dirty, right? This is, as I understand it, basically how Modok functions in, in the Marvel, or not, not yep. in, but in the Marvel universe. Um, mm -hmm. It's kind of a joke character. And I think they kept most of the, the kind of like nonsense that would, that bothers us otherwise out of the kind of mainline plot. I think it has some issues with stakes, but we'll get into that in the spoiler section. Um, but I think it's a pretty good movie, right? Like I would say this is like, like numer, uh, 
numbers wise, like somewhere in like the high seventies, low eighties. So like, not like great, not a must watch. Um, if you're a fan of Paul, like, I think Paul Rudd did a better job in this movie than he did in the Ant-Man and the Wasp. I don't know if this is better than Ant-Man, but if it, it feels like he's doing what he does best, which is being like a, uh, the jokey jokes guy that like, yeah. you know, um, that like is serious when he needs to be. Um, but yeah, uh, I enjoyed the film. Um, and uh, it is not my favorite, but it's relatively high up there, especially considering the, the recent crop, right? Like if this if this is an indication of the direction that the series that the Marvel films are going in, I think it's good. I think Wakanda Forever was better than anything in the past two years before it. Um, I think like the only the only like I won't even say bright, but like, you know, medium star um, before Wakanda Forever was far from home. That was still pretty flawed. So, like, I think things are on an upward trajectory, and I'm hopeful that whatever comes next will be good. It's, it seems like they're starting an arc around Jonathan Major's character. Um, I don't know if revealing who he is is a, uh, is a spoiler or not, but, um, uh, yeah. So Okay. Interesting. I'm sort of on board with some that's a bad way of putting it sort of on board with some of that <laughs> um yeah. i guess i'm like medium on board with 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 some of that is is really how i feel um because i guess i think i agree and i want to give um hmm i guess i want to give i want to give a little bit more credit to some of the other like Marvel stuff that has happened um, being bad in a way. Right. I thought of this as a pretty bad movie going experience and I was out of it and I didn't get into the, into the story, but I think that maybe the recent crop of Marvel movies has also been really bad. And that's part of what's like affecting me. Right. Like we have Dr. Strange, we have Thor love and thunder, um, we have Spider-Man No Way Home, which I famously really didn't like, even though a lot of other people really liked it. Um, we have Eternals, right? Um, and maybe in a Black Panther, Wakanda Forever sort of world, I'm willing to kind of do an ups... I, and, and also the the framing it a, a little bit more around Star Wars, I think, is also interesting. Because um, I do think it works better on that level. Um <sighs> So I guess I guess I'm willing to be convinced in a certain sense um, when it comes to some of when it comes to some of this, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, that's totally fair. And like you know, um, my sense is that I will be able to bring you part way along, and I would just like Paul Rudd enough that I'm willing to give it a couple extra points. Um, uh, <laughs> but uh, I think that's maybe a good place for us to like mark spoilers. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. All right. Yes. Uh, spoilers for uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania moving forward. Probably also spoilers for some of the surrounding MCU stuff. Um, uh, yep. Before before we hit spoilers, um, just I did watch Loki before I, uh, the you know the six episode miniseries before I went into this. Um, I thought that was pretty good, and it has a little bit of context. Like if you went and watched Quantumania and then you went and watched um, Loki, I don't think you'd lose a lot. Um, like, I, I think that's pretty bi-directional. Um, I think it's slightly better to watch Loki first, because, like, I think that that's the intended order. But, like, 
Um, I thought that was a pretty decent piece of media, and that may come up in the discussion, so spoiler warning for that, potentially. Um, uh, but yeah, spoilers for Ant-Man and Quantumania, this is your warning. All right, so, um, where do we want to start? Where do we want to start? That's a good question. Um, what do I think? Uh, I guess I want to talk a little bit about just the core, the core stuff that's going on, right? We enter into sort of a world in which Scott Lang is an Avenger. He has been doing some, like, like he's been doing some superhero stuff, it seems like, but mostly he's been, like, writing a book um, right. and just kind of, like, living his happy-go-lucky life in San Francisco where sort of, like, everybody loves him. Um, but his daughter, Cassie is now a teenager, you know, she's she's doing a little uh, kind of, like, protesting and stuff like that, getting getting in trouble with, with the law, so to speak. Um, and that's where the... That's where the story starts. Um, I don't really know what I, where I want to, like, where I want to so, go from from there. But it's just, like, where, like uh, the, this, is, this is sort of the state of... The, the like world. the world w before before they go on their crazy trip to the the quantum realm. Um, how do you how do you how do you feel about all that? Um, I think it's like decent scene setting. Something that I, I actually do think that's like relevantly relevant and interesting is like they kind of very quickly immediately jump into the adventure, right? Like if you've seen the trailer, where like it's like you know it's like I built a, a, a telescope to the quantum realm. And then old wasp is like turn it off right now, and then it immediately sucks them in. That's exactly exactly what happened. I kind of expected there to be like that to be like a weird cut, and then it'd be like some filler in between. But no, it's like you know, normal day, and then they immediately get sucked into the quantum realm. And you know, the only reason they have their suits is because apparently Jane, it's, it's Janet, Janet and uh, and Scott are always wearing their suits, which makes sense. Um, like that makes that that is not an issue for me, right? And they they even show that, right? They show Scott showing up to Janet's office and like being in. The, they're both just like have their suits all the time, right? That's fair. That makes sense to me. And I'm glad that they don't like spend a ton of time dilly dallying, um, in the front end, right? They establish that Cassie is a rebellious teen and that Scott is being a overprotective father, even though he was once a rebellious youth himself, as we found out in the first Ant-Man movie. And dirty yeah. dirty dirt, right? Like, like, kind of like Aquaman, I will say. This movie is not doing any crazy innovations on, like, the story front, right? Like, it is, like, very much, like, this is a very kind of standardish story. Um, and there's not really any twists in the plot, per se. It's just kind of, like weirdness about the characters and weirdness of the world. And that's where you get like your kind of your flavor from. So yeah. Um, feels very I think I, I, I definitely think I agree with, uh, with that sort of assessment of things. And to, and to be fair, I actually kind of loved the way that the movie began by just getting into it. This weirdly reminds me quite a lot of what it's like to read uh, like a story in comics. It's rare. I guess I want to say for there to be, um, a lot of preamble to a lot of stories that crop up in like comic books, right? Um, most of the time you just get into it. You just get into the thick of it and that's that. Right. Um, and I, 
like that. I I like that it doesn't it doesn't sort of beat around it doesn't sort of beat around the bush. Um, at the same time, I definitely felt taken aback is maybe what I would say by a lot of the plot developments that I was like, boy, I really wish I could get some like better context to some of this. You know what I mean? Um, like I really wish that there were moments in the film that were better explained in terms of uh, like motivation and why people were doing certain things and what just the status of the quantum realm itself was kind of like, right? Um, so for instance, we learn that Kang has conquered most of the quantum realm. He has set up this, you know, um, he has set up this empire. There's this like budding resistance movement. We're introduced to a bunch of characters, but then they're like immediately tossed to the side. We're introduced to another set of characters immediately gotten rid of. Kang shows up and he goes on this huge, long backstory thing explaining his backstory. Um, but, but, in all of that, he doesn't actually deal with him creating the current state of affairs of the empire that surrounded them, right? Um, and I just feel like all of that kind of stuff made gave me this feeling that, like, you know, I just wanted more um, information, I guess, uh, about that that level of the world and and how it was operating. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I, I, I understand that, that kind of impulse, I guess, but like, I don't, I, like, I, I kind of don't feel like I need that. Right. Like, it, you know, there's a line, right. You know, they restored enough of the thing that he got a suit back and that let him take over. And it's kind of like that, that, like, that's enough of a handway for me. It's like, oh yeah, the supervillain did the supervillain villain stuff. That's like the state of the world. Right. Like again, to draw the star Wars comparison, right. It's like, we don't find out about how the Empire was formed until, like, you know, episodes one, two, and three, which are, you know, 20 years after the original trilogy, right? Um, maybe not quite that long, but you, you know what I mean. Um, so, like, I'm not, I don't particularly care that, like, we don't get that kind of, like, how Kang came to power, right? Like, honestly, that sounds like maybe it's like a, you know, a Disney Plus miniseries, like Rise of Kang or something, um, if they decide that that's, like, a thing to do. I, I I just don't know that I I care enough about the mechanics of him coming to power. Um, yeah, I guess maybe it's a flaw in the world building because there is a uh, a sort of marked difference between introducing me to a a sort of society and giving me the tools to understand how it works and operates. Um, in such a way that I find that like satisfying, right? So, for instance, man, am I really going to make a lot of Aquaman par parallels? It's for it. so it's so obvious, I guess. Um, for instance, I have a good understanding of Atlantis immediately, right? Or even the Fisher Kingdom immediately, um, or some of these other sort of locations, kind of around the world. There's a lot of world building that just kind of gets done sort of passively through good aesthetics um, and art direction maybe is what I'm really like complimenting here, right? Like things I'm thinking about are like, you know, the Ring of Fire death pit where Aquaman and Orm fight for the first time and Topo the Octopus is there and he's drumming and all of these, you know, uh, like all of these 
people are there and they're and they're there for the blood sport and um and aquaman and or meet underwater in this like little alcove i guess um that has like armor and stuff like of like the discarded armor of like other combatants kind of thing it's like this is all stuff that gives me like a little bit of lee like a little bit of line and i can interpret a lot out from there right even just the fisherman kingdom they describe that kingdom as like scholars and philosophers in some line right i think when orm is there he's like you know i i need you guys to go to war they're like we don't want to go to war and he's like you motherfuckers are cowards right oh you're up in your ivory towers or whatever and it's like and i can get a lot of what i need about that that kingdom just from these very sort of like baseline interactions but i think maybe what's going on with kang uh and his sort of empire and his like faceless goons or whatever um is there's a lack of some of that stuff and it's very generic in a way, um, as compared, maybe maybe a good comparison point is actually inside the movie to the resistance, right? For instance, there's this there's a lot of unique kind of like low level Gonzo world building that's just happening inside of this like resistance movement and the bits that are that are that are playing out there where it's like okay, you have this guy he's reading minds he's doing a thing you have this warrior woman who's the who is the resistance leader um the dude my favorite guy i don't even remember what his name i think his name was like stalwart or solemn or something like that he had the big uh lightning head not lightning yeah like sort of yeah 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 um he was super cool um and uh and there were like little details right like their buildings were alive um, or the way that they flew in on the final battle was a lot of them are flying on these like massive amoeba creature ship things. Right. And it's like, that's neat that I can kind of like get behind, but I feel like everything that was going on with Kang was so sort of like basic and bare bones, um, that it didn't really evoke anything else to me outside of sort of the insistence that there is this, you know, great empire that he has, like set up and it's repressive for this variety of reasons. Does that make sense? Does that track? Um, I, it tracks, but I, I think frankly that you're just kind of like missing the point, right? Like this is like classic star Wars stuff, right? Like the, the villains are all uniform and you know, they're faceless and maybe immaterial, right? Like the, some of these guys just disappear when they're fought, but they're like, there is kind of like faceless, you know, authoritarian goons that are the same and unchanging and uncreative and dull and brutalist, right? Like, and I think that's the point, right? That it's a it's it's a dictatorship run from the top with an iron fist, where everybody, where all the everybody under them is is is, is you know identical, and the ragtag resistance is plucky and diverse and interesting, and that's the the distinction they're trying to draw between the two, and all of like kind of the normal people in the city are kind of, like, muted and depressed, except for, like, I guess, the, the rich people in the cafe. Um, and there's not there's not a lot there, but, it, you know, I feel like that's... Um, I think that's, like, a fair criticism, that there's not, like, a lot of, like... There's not a lot of insight into the society, but it's also, I don't think, trying to tell that huge of a story about it, right? Like, um, again, I can see Disney Plus series about the quantum realm at some point, um, but, like... I don't think this movie wants to. I think it just wants to show you, you know, there, there is this world. It is ruled by Kang, who is a your stock dictator. 
Um, and Kang himself is kind of interesting, but like his implementation of this, like, you know, I have a, an army of faceless goons that do my bidding unquestion, unquestioningly and can't be reasoned with. And then the resistance is this ragtag plucky group of like different, different things and through, um, and through their cobbled together strength, they will overthrow the, the evil guy. Right. Like that, that just seems kind of like, again, not super, not, not super, um, unique, but makes sense to me. You know, <sighs> So I guess I think I agree a little bit. Um, I think I agree with that. But here's my thing. When I'm talking about Aquaman, the, the core story is very straightforward, right? This is a guy. He's not worthy. He goes through a character arc. He becomes worthy and defeats his, you know, like sure. and defeats his brother, right? Super straightforward stuff. Doing this for hundreds of years, right? And, um... That's the part that is okay to sort of be rote in a way, right? Um, but then there's all this other extra, like, crazy, cool stuff that's going on, which is the stuff that we that we like about the movie. With It sounds to me like we're making the that first argument about both the world building to Kang's sort of, like, threat and empire and to the core story itself. Scott Lang cares about his daughter and he wants to rescue her in a way does it make sense um which is maybe part of why it feels like it's not it's not quite like hitting for me in the in the right okay. way okay i i see what you're saying i also think that like there's not a great way to like do the kind of like stock dictator empire um without like without giving it too much character right like it's a po like you know aquaman's kingdom is supposed to be like you know this is like i guess the difference between like you know the um you know, the Imperial got like in 40k terms, right? Or like in maybe in, in Warhammer terms, well, you know, Warhammer terms, like there's between like, you know, Carl Franz and like the humans versus like the ogres or something, right? Like you have to have like kind of like stock standard normal thing, and that feels like what Kang's supposed to be to me. But I understand yeah. your criticism. Um, yeah, I, I don't, don't know. It's, it's, it's tough. I think I think also part of it is just like really looking at it through that one frame of reference um, and uh, like the way in which your first impression kind of gets set. Right. Um, and it feels like there's like a little confirmation bias towards that, in a in a in a weird way. Right. Um, like, for instance, something else I'm thinking about. Hold to make on more... for one second. Uh, the stream has uh, kind of frozen. You know, I will deal with YouTube and post. Go ahead, buddy. Continue okay. With your point. Um, the I kind of don't remember the point I was making at the time, but let me see if I can cobble. Oh, so I, another thought I had for this, another thought I had sort of along this level, um, is it also just sort of felt like this evil empire was superfluous to the core relationship in the first place, right? Like Kang does not have to have an empire of goons. Right, he can just be a guy. He can just be a villain without, you know. Maybe you, you keep along Modok as sort of his like lieutenant or whatever else, right? Um, but it, it felt almost like a um, uh, like an unsupported story thread to have this kind of empire resistance thing going on because at the end of the day, like the conflict between between Kang and Scott and like the core thing that Kang and Scott are trying to do seems to just be, you know, getting the 
the MacGuffin with pim particles and and all of that stuff. And I think maybe when the movie is at is at its best is during some of that stuff. I think probably I I pretty universally hated the action um in in the movie outside of maybe um the stuff that was going on when they were like using their powers to to defeat this crazy you know possibility space thing right um and they're spawning like a gazillion versions of themselves but then they all collapse back into like a single version of themselves this may be my favorite part of the movie that i thought was kind of like doing something um pretty interesting i guess um but also at the same time uh that that stuff is sort is 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 so far out of what the you know like the the kind of focus of things ended up being at the at the end of the movie that maybe that's part of why it left me in in a in a worse spot okay um interesting um i think i get that i think i think i i understand why you feel that way um so, uh, I don't know. Sorry, I, I was trying to fix technical difficulties. So I didn't feel, catch 100% of that. Um, essentially, there's not, like, a lot happening. Is that part of it? There's, like, not a lot of neat stuff happening other than, like, that weird thing with a bunch of them. Is that a... Is that a yeah. Um, I, get, I, I feel that. Um, that was kind of... To me, that was the most interesting stuff that was going on. I, I, I liked Jonathan Majors as an actor... Um, but I did not like Kang all that much as a character, um, mostly because I kind of felt like it was vaguely referencing cool sci-fi stuff that I thought would be interesting to deal with and talk about. Um, but instead it just is, is just, it's referencing, right? Oh, it's, it's coming. What's coming? Y you'll see. It's like, ugh. And I felt like there was a lot of that kind of stuff that was, um, I guess just frustrating um, to sort of to sort of watch through, and more than that, um, I think uh, the possibility space scene, which is I guess what we'll just call it, right, um, is kind of the place where the sci-fi that I felt like I wanted, um, outside of like the, the, the Star Wars framing, the the sci-fi story that was dealing with like crazy weird quantum physics shit. Right, it was happening there, and I had a, and I had a good time, and then it didn't happen anywhere else in the movie. It was always just sort of these vague, these vague kind of allusions to some of those concepts. Does that make sense? Does that does that explain sort of myself better? Uh, yeah. No, I I get that, and I I think that I think that's definitely a fair criticism. I think part of the problem is is this is meant to be the start of. This and the end of Loki is supposed to be the start of the Kang arc, right? Like, I know that one of the announced films much further down the line is, like, you know, Ascendance of Kang or something like that. Um, let me see if I can find it. Dyna Leg Legacy of Kang? Kang Dynasty, I think is what it's called. Oh, yeah. Uh, that, that makes yeah. sense. Uh, yeah, like the the most interesting parts of Kang are where he was talking about how many Avengers he's killed and stuff like that. And I wish they went further with it, right? I really liked the idea of here is this guy who has 
gone to a bunch of different timelines and he's killed ant-man a billion times right you know he's done this fight before um and won but i think the frustrating piece of that to me was that first of all kang didn't feel like a threat basically ever um in terms of like actual sort of like power i think mostly just because like his powers weren't defined um, yeah. and the action was was really shitty right like he kind of has this vague telekinesis thing but like it didn't really seem to function and it like a bunch of fucking ants were like breaking through his force field it's like how powerful is your force field really right how come he can throw scott lang around you know super easy when the plot sort of demands it right and he's like pressing him up against the wall and it looks like he's about to like break his bones and shit right but then when they're actually sitting there and having a fight you know um he's kind of getting he's kind of getting the shit kicked out of him um and and scott can go big and he can go small and he's doing all this other sort of you know what i mean it's just like i felt i felt like that inconsistency really bothered me um and i sort of wish i had a clearly defined set of powers that made Kang interesting. No, I, I will agree with you on that, that like Kang just kind of like has plot level powers and that's yeah pretty bad. I will also say that like on top of this, like the stakes, at the end, very end of the movie are like very confused, right? Like mm-hmm. they open up this portal and like, I thought the thing was going to be that like, Oh, Ant-Man, you know, Scott and Janet are trapped in the quantum realm because they stay to like, you know, make sure Kang couldn't escape and, like, in destroying the battery, they stopped their way out. No. You know, there was, like, actually no risk there at all. Right? Like, like, what is it? he says... I, so- I thought Kang was going to win. That was the thing I wanted. I wanted Kang to win. I think if Kang had won, I would have been much happier with the end of the movie. I think, like I said, I was pretty checked out a lot of it. Um, but the idea that Scott and Janet and everybody else makes the call to go through the portal and leave Kang with the battery because like they can't take, they can't power the portal with the battery and take the battery at the same time. So the idea that they need to sort of flee rather than just to get back to, you know, their reality um, and, and escape and escape rather than like, uh, like defeat Kang or whatever. um, That was really compelling. And I was like, Oh shit, that's going to be like the hook, right? That they get out of the, that they get out of the portal. And then at the end of it, Scott or or Janet will probably be the one to do this, right? Janet is going to turn to Hank and go, I, we had to leave the, the battery and there's no telling what Kang's going to do. And then Scott goes, I know just who to call. And it's the fucking Avengers theme right. song, right? Like that, that kind of a thing, right? That's a, that seemed the perfect setup. That's what I wanted, right? Uh, it, ex- it establishes Kang's court sort of menace um, and that he is like a real threat to sort of be uh, dealt with. Um and sets up the sort of future stakes for this Avenger stuff. What I got instead was he gets beaten. He gets beaten by Ant-Man, which, to be fair, right? Like, I don't want to shit on Ant-Man. I understand that Ant-Man is, like, a real, like, sort of superhero or whatever. But, like, in the pantheon of the Marvel cinema Cinematic Universe, right, we all agree that Captain Marvel, Thor, right, Iron Man, these are the A-tier sort of threats, right? Like, these are the big guns kind of thing, Right. If Ant-Man can defeat Kang, what is the threat of the Kang dynasty to the Avengers? Is it that it's all of the Ricks of the Council of Ricks Kangs, right? Like Egypt Kang and China Kang are going to, you know, like show up. And this 
huge team up of all of the different Kangs is going to be enough to defeat the Avengers? Maybe I, yeah, I don't know. So I, I think part of the issue there here is that like I, I don't think you're quite wrong, but like I think the framing of it is supposed to be that like you know Ant Man was explicitly not trying to beat Kang, right? Like his line is like we both just have to lose. He's just trying to blow up the battery. Right, to sure. keep Kang from escaping. Again, those stakes are kind of confused because apparently Cassie can just open the portal anyway. Um, yeah. Which, like, I think, I think, I think that Kang can't, you guys. I think that's, well, I think, it, like, from logistics point of view, right, like, she's on the outside, but, like... Yeah, that's true. They're, yeah, sure. they're both not losing. I, I guess the idea is, like, maybe Scott thought that he would blow up the battery and they both die, right? But, like... I don't think it's that weird that, like, I don't think it's that much of a reach. It's like, you know, so, so, so I will say, I'll, I'll get to another point in a second that did bother me. But, um, you know, the idea that, like, this battery happens to be the thing that, like, like he's not trying to kill Kang, and it just kind of happens to work out that way, and everything works out well is nice, right? Um, but I think it's because of the, 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 uh, the stakes. Something that actually kind of did bother me, though, is, like, you're telling me that this scientist who can travel the multiverse like he he apparently built all the stuff himself right like he's the guy that did all of this right he apparently can't um figure out how to reverse engineer pin particles um right like that's the one thing and that's the thing that's been keeping him down here is that like only only hank pym is smart enough to figure out how to do pin particles um and that's basically it Right, like that—that that felt like a little unbelievable to me, especially like you know he's from like the thirty like so I don't know if they said it in the movie, but in in the show Loki they established that he's like a thirty-first century scientist. The idea mm. that like in that timeline, Hank Pym like never told anybody about the Pym particles, right? Or figured out how to do them, and like Ant Man, I guess just like stopped existing after, um, after Scott Lang, right? Like seems unlikely to me, but you know, who knows, um. That that just seemed like weird to me. That like he's got all these reasons he can't figure out how to. Yeah, I don't even I don't even disagree or mind really the idea that like this is the place that he's that he's kind of um, that he's trapped in. Um, but I just want him to pose a real threat to the to the you know uh, to sort of the heroes. And like watching this guy get beat up by ants is like. It's the least threatening introduction to a character ever, right? I, I, have, I have talked a lot of shit about Thanos, for instance, to compare this internally to the MCU. Talked a lot of shit about Thanos. And there's a lot that I have a problem with, with the framing of Thanos in Infinity War, right? When he, like, really steps up and enters the narrative of the story in Infinity War. Um, but he enters the narrative of Infinity War by brutally murdering the villain of the first Avengers movie and kicking the most powerful Avengers, the two most powerful Avengers, kicking their butts so hard that they have fucking PTSD because of it, right? And it's just like, boy, is that some fucking stakes, right? Does this establish, yeah, Thanos is a real goddamn threat and he's not fucking around, okay? He's not, he is like not making any mistakes here he is going to kick the kick their shit in sort of um having kang in his first so let's call it cinematic introduction to the mcu be getting beaten by ant-man right 
um, in in this Ant Man threequel or whatever. It's just like the opposite of that. It's like it's like I don't know. I, I can't think of a good. I can't even think of like a good other example of when this sort of thing has happened in in movies because there are so few like cinematic universes that that are built on this kind of uh, like storytelling. Um, but yeah. Yeah, no, I, uh, I get that. Um, um, yeah, I, I don't know. The other thing doesn't bother me so much is because like it's a lot, it's it's a lot of them, and they're supposed to be smart, mm. and they're big, right? Like it's like they're relatively big, right? Like, um, so not a huge deal to me. Um, but I, I, I get why. I guess that that bothers you. I also think it's supposed to be like them as like a group is a threat. I don't know that like Kang is supposed to be as threatening as Thanos. Although they do. So in the in the Loki show, they show that like, you know, in the bureau, they just like in a drawer have a bunch of infinity stones, like alternate variant infinity stones from like, and it's like, it's like, yeah, we use them as paperweights. And Loki's like, just like gobsmacked. He's like, oh, this is the level of threat I'm dealing with. Right. Mm-hmm. But um, again, spoilers for Loki. Um, not as Kang, but one of the versions of Kang shows up at the very end of Loki. Um, and um, he, he, he's kind of like, he like it's just like a dude that like knows what's happening ahead of time, which lets him like kind of like escape what's happening. But he's not like he doesn't have like a suit or anything. So he just kind of like he also like basically invites Loki to kill him um, and then or invites Loki and Sylvie, Sylvie being the female version of Loki to kill him. And she does. Um, so. Interesting. Maybe, maybe that's the theme they're building towards. It's like you cut one down and seven stand up to replace them. I also don't understand, yeah. like, in the post... I think it's in the post it seems like, why the Kangs needed to wait for... I guess I guess they decided that, like, if they killed one of the Kangs, that, like, they'll eventually come for all of them. I, I guess that's the point. I don't know. That also felt like it's like, yeah. well, guess we gotta go commit, like, timeline genocide now, right? Like, yeah, I also... I Something I did enjoy was the interaction between Kang and Modok, and I kind of wish that this was another thing that got sort of... that they, like, leaned into a little, I guess. Um, I One of the things that has always, like, screamed to me as, do this, please, do this in one of these movies, right, is the Sinister Sticks Injustice League villain team-up, right? Where you have the Joker and Lex Luthor and whoever, Cheetah, right, and Sinestro, and they all join forces in order to fight this specific, you know, like, in order to fight this specific threat. Um, this is what the old version of the DC EU was, was setting up before, like, Justice League su- super shat the bed. And I wish to God they had pulled it off because it would have been so cool to have set something kind of along those, those lines. Um... Uh, sort of in motion, but I feel like with Kang and his ability to recruit anyone in the multiverse, you could actually do a really good version of that, right? Because all of the Marvel villains that you fucking killed, you can just bring them back as these, as his like, like Kang lieutenants, right? Um, you know, so you can do the Red Skull, you can do, um, you know, uh, the uh, from uh, the 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 Russian guy, but Mickey Rourke from 
from Iron Man 2. You can do, um, you know, who else Who else would I really like to, to pull in? You could do Killmonger. Holy yeah. shit. Right? Like, you could just add, you could find all of these versions of characters who are neat and interesting um, who showed up. And you leave the other guys out, right? Like, nobody cares about the Dark Elf guy from the second Thor movie, um, for instance. Um and you bring them in as his lieutenants, kind of in the way that Thanos had that little set of lieutenants. There's like the guy they the called him Maw. Squidward or whatever. Yeah, um, only, they, they have a name. I only uh, yeah, I forget. There, I know one of them is the Ebony Maw. And I only know that because he's a Marvel Snap character that I play a lot. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, because they have a name. I think it's called like they're like the Black Black Counselor Black. Yeah, it's not Black Zero. Black Zero is the Man of Steel thing. I don't remember. They they have a name, right? Um, and I love the idea of this guy who is who's running around the multiverse Black and Warrior. has the ability. Okay, um, who has the ability to pick up, you know, like these uh, these different Marvel villains as his lieutenants to go into a big Avengers style team up and fight. Um, all of that seems great to me, and I'm on board for, and I want to see it. Um, and I don't want to see a million versions of this guy who has an indescribable power set that is uninteresting and kind of like visually unappealing. Um, going up, uh, going up against, you know, going up against the Avengers, right? Um, at least with Thanos, you had the powers were surrounded by the, the Infinity Stones, right? Um, so you could do like cool stuff with that. I kind of am surprised he didn't do more time stuff. I was expecting Kang to be like you know, I don't know, just doing, doing time shit, right? Yeah. Like killing people and like winding back time or like fast forwarding and, and rewinding time in order to make like interesting stuff happen. Right. Like that kind of thing. Some of that happens in Loki. I think the idea is that the quantum realm, you can't do that because reasons time doesn't work down here type deal. Um, uh, my expectation is that, um, they're probably not going to bring back the other villains just because, um, like, it seems like it's a bunch of Kangs, right? Um, I do think that they'll be like, oh, all these Kangs are slightly different. They have slightly different power sets that are also undescribed, as, you know, you, you referenced. Um, uh, and, uh, but, like, I don't know. I could see them doing something like, it's like, well, I guess we got to go, like, figure out how to get the Kang, that Kang that you killed out of the battery so you can, you can go kill the other Kangs. Let's do it. That are like, find a good Kang, right? Like something like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I am happy enough to see it play out. Like, I don't know. I, I will say that like, I don't think this is like, you know, sublime cinema, right? Like I will not be putting this on like, you know, any of my, this, movie of the year awards where there was like a period of time there was like should marvel win an oscar right like i don't like you know <laughs> we're pretty definitively past that era yeah, yeah right? right but like that's my point right this is not like a return to form in that way even if like even for the strongest contenders for that kind of like slot none of these fit it or this doesn't fit it right but i am happy to like i'm happy for it to be the start of an arc right like i think it fills that role adequately um yeah i think i'm just i, I think i have a certain set of um frustration with this side of the MCU. I actually quite like, I will say, so in this thing of villain stuff that I've been talking about, the Dark Avengers stuff that's happening, or I'm sorry, they, they're maybe doing Thunderbolts. The Thunderbolts stuff that's happening, that stuff is sweet. I wish this was what we were building towards in terms of an Avengers 
movie, right? You have, um, you know, this Julie Louis Dreyfus um, showing up and and recruiting people, and she's recruiting the evil Captain America and the evil Black Widow, um, and uh, you know, like all of these other all of these other sort of people for her her, her Thunderbolts like task force or whatever. I think that's sweet, and I want to go deeper on that end of, you know, like that end of the Marvel uh sort of cinematic universe. And I wish this is where they were kind of like putting their putting their like manpower. But it feels like the manpower is behind this multiverse stuff um that hasn't been connecting with me on a on a, like a, a real level. Um and I guess that's a little bit of a shame. So, to to cap this off, you know, I have my list of, you know, all of the all of the movies in order. Um, where are you going to end up putting this one? Oh, let me, let me see. I don't know if I can find it real quick. I forgot about that. And I don't know if I've had the other ones. Let me go to, um, that would be Marvel. Docs.google.com. Uh, That's where I keep it in my Google Docs. Um, MCU rankings. Um, I don't know, man. Above Thor 2, which I guess means it's above Avengers. Wow. I think I'd put it underneath... Iron Man 1. Wow. Yeah, I have this a little bit above Iron Man 1, ironically. Uh, it is right below Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness and right above the original Ant-Man. Um, okay. So that yeah. is in my definitively... I, I have three categories. We have the greats, the, the they're fine, and then the definitively bad stuff. The top of the definitively bad stuff is uh, Spider-Man... No Way Home and Spider-Man Homecoming, um, two movies that I did not like all that much, and then Eternals and Iron Man 3, um, and it's it's kind of in the middle of that category. Not not as far down as Avengers Endgame, Captain Marvel, and Captain America Civil War, um, but, you know, not 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 at the, the top of the list either. Interesting. Interesting. Honestly, mostly I'm interested in doing Loki. I'm, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to watch Loki. Uh, All right. Maybe at the at the end of this, and we can do a Loki episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, in between our Fast and Furious episodes. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah. We'll go back and forth. We'll just like ping pong. We'll ping pong like nothing else. Um, but anyway, that's yeah. That's that's it. That's, like I don't think yeah. we need to talk that much about it, right? Like I like you know like you said, um, it's got some very interesting you know kind of like. Uh, world stuff right like like I, I appreciated the alien stuff as like from like a star wars angle but like we can if you got nothing else to say about the movie i don't think i do either we can move on i got nothing else to say about this about this film um all right but i do have a lot to say about another film okay a the completion of a cinematic trilogy okay that has long been at the top of my list of cinematic trilogies, one of the masterpieces. Okay, of is, is this modern. Why you missed your your, your Ant Man show because you were watching Magic Mike. 
No, I am setting up Magic Mike though. Yeah, I did watch Magic Mike's last dance, and I watched. See, I watched Magic Mike's next dance with Warren in the afternoon. I missed my Magic Mike XXL showing because um, we rolled a plus twenty key. We were we were pushing mythic keys. It was me, Loki, Screwball, Dave, and uh, and Stoops, and we we were doing we were doing one final key of the night, and we didn't think we were gonna time it. But we and it was a nineteen. We were doing like a nineteen no coup defensive or something like that, and we didn't think we were gonna time it, but we did. And we're like, we have to run the twenty. And I had an hour on the clock. I was like, I was like, okay, that's fine. We'll run this quick, quick mythic in and out twenty minutes. And then we wiped on the final boss for forty minutes. And I was just like, I I got to the movie theater at eleven fifteen because I got the very last showing of the night which was 11. I got to the movie theater at 11.15. I was like, okay, I missed the trailers, but I can still get in there. Um, but the movie theater had locked its doors. They had locked oh, the doors. They weren't no. letting anybody else in because it was it was after the final the final showtime. So that's why I missed my uh, that's why I missed my showing. Um, yo, I'll have you know, we were running Mythics yesterday and the exact same thing happened. We did a 19 that rolled into a 20 um, and I was like, guys, I have an hour on the clock. Like, either we blitz it and it's fine or... I leave, right? Like, we just have to go. Uh, and we wiped two or three times at the first boss, and I was just like, I can't do this to Mega two days in a row. <laughs> um, well, so, I so we went out. But, yeah. but tell but me, anyway, tell me watched, about Magic Mike I, XXL. I watched Magic Mike XXL. Or, no, I'm sorry. Magic Mike's Last Dance. I fucking love these movies. I bet you would love these movies, too, actually, to be, to be quite honest. This is... Um, this is Steven Soderbergh directing again. It's the story of Magic Mike... Steven Soderbergh is obviously very famous, very acclaimed director. Comes out of the independent film boom in the early 90s. Um, and to be honest, is sort of one of the last of the of that era, right? A lot of those guys um, who also came up sort of fell from grace. Kevin Smith is a good example of this, right? Um, Kevin Smith is a guy who kind of came up in this era and just sort of floundered, right? Like he had a couple uh, interesting stuff on the opening, but he ended up not really being able to, to make movies that were any more interesting or challenging. Uh, Robert Rodriguez, another good example, right? Um, uh, those, those movies are, are great, but he really only seems interested in sort of action cinema, um, and kind of got obsessed with, uh, he's the, he's the shark boy and lava girl, uh, spy kids director. If you, if you know him at all, um, but Quentin Tarantino and Steven Soderbergh both kind of made it to the big time, right? Prestige film directors. Um, Steven Soderbergh uh, would end up doing a bunch of kind of company pictures for... He does uh, he's Oceans 11... 12. Yeah, he's the Oceans guy, right? Yeah. Uh, so he does Oceans 11, 12, and 13 for WB. Um, and these are kind of his like main mainstream sort of like cinema bona fides. But he makes a million, you know... Um, uh, hold on. Let me let me actually look at his his like full filmography so that we can we can talk about this in some like better um, in some sort of like better detail because a lot of the time what ends up happening with these um, uh, with uh, God damn it how the where the fuck how do, how does I they changed IMDb this fucking sucks I hate it I hate it. Um, is you know you you come up in indies you get picked up to do sort of studio pictures um those studio pictures go well or they don't sort of thing um and then you can kind of like write you know the question is can you sort of write you write your ch your blank check as a martin scorsese as a steven spielberg who can just sign whatever pictures they want make whatever pictures they want because they have so much prestige kind of behind their 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 kind of like brand right um so he makes this 
uh, oh, right. I remember this. In two years, in one year, he makes two movies, Aaron Brockovich and Traffic, both of which I, I believe are Oscar-winning films. Um, and these sort of set him up. He, he ends up taking the Oceans movies um, in 2001, Oceans 12 is 2004, Oceans 13, 2007. Uh, but he's making a bunch of other stuff all, during, all, all at the same time. And from everybody's... You know, he is a great guy to work with. Everybody really likes Steven Soderbergh. Doesn't have any, like, shit under, you know, like... For instance, James Cameron also did this sort of thing. Uh, he did it in the 80s, right? Um, but he's a dick. People... James Cameron is a perfectionist asshole. Um, even though he makes good movies that everybody loves and we're all Cameron and we're all Cameron built, right? Um, Steven Soderbergh has been... You know, he's just been making good, solid pictures. The the movies that he is interested in, um, he he does interesting things with casting that a lot of people won't do. So, for instance, um, he he made a movie called The Girlfriend Experience, cast a porn star Sasha Gray in that in that movie in the in, in like the title role um recently he filmed an entire movie just on an iphone right uh he made the first movie during the pandemic um under all of the same like pandemic was, lockdown uh, and he shot i think it's called kimmy okay uh yeah and the whole thing is uh uh you know, the whole thing was shot was shot on was shot on an iPhone. Uh, he made Contagion, right? Um, the movie from 2011 that is like, honestly, maybe one of my favorite thrillers I've I've ever seen. Contagion has some of the most incredible writing, I guess I would say, um, for a movie for a movie like this, just because it's really complicated to. Um, to make a movie about fighting of like there's no you can't there's no bad guy right, right? and it's not like it's not like it's, it's not like a zombie movie right um or something like that where like you you can like make an antidote like the it that movie is so real and deals with real drama in a way that i'm just like god i love it i love everything about this right anyway super super amazing guy in 2012 he makes he makes magic mike Okay, Channing Tatum has this history. He was a male stripper for a long time. Um, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know it was based. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so Channing Tatum was a dancer. Okay. Uh, the, like his thing was uh, what's what's the Step Up? I want to say like the Step Up movies. He was he was the male lead in the first Step Up movie. That was kind of his big claim to fame, really. Um, but then he makes Magic Mike. Magic Mike is kind of a typical sort of like art house uh, indie indie drama, and then they eventually make the sequel, uh, Magic Mike XXL, where he swaps places with his cinematographer. This is the uh, and now we get to the part of the show where B really cares. Yeah, true. Um, this is the kind of thing that people say makes working with Steven Soderbergh so fun. His cinematographer wants to direct a movie, and Steven Soderbergh goes, "Okay." You direct the next Magic Mike movie. I'll be your cinematographer for that movie, right? So they so they swap, swap places. This guy guy, you know, he gets he gets the credit. Um, Magic Mike XXL comes out. Everybody fucking loves that movie, including me. It's the it's it's a truly amazing and transcendent, and I just love everything about it. Um, more more men need to express their complex emotions through dances to hip-hop songs that's my that's my philosophy um and then you know in the hbo max era they pick up magic mike's last dance which is the the third the third one in this sort of trilogy where um uh mike goes to mike meets a, the, like like a billionaire's 
wife basically uh like her like her strange wife she's spending down her husband's her husband's money and she meets and she meets mike um and he dances for her and she is so electrified the, by the experience that they do a modern version of a putting on a show movie do you know you know what i mean like a movie about putting on a movie or putting on a, it is a show yeah, it is a it's live like the producers theater. is kind of like a, a yes. comedy version of this yeah 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 you know phantom of the opera also has has pieces of this maybe the best one of these is um is it uh is it 42nd street what I, that i'm thinking of I mean, the best actually singing in the rain is the best okay. one of these is like the archetype for this right um where they're you know uh they're dealing with the different dancers that they're hiring um they are uh they're they're contending with like last minute stuff that's coming up oh they're putting on this show and they find out that the 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 director that she's bringing around town was really a stripper from Miami. Oh my God, the scandal! The London Historical Society is getting involved and they're shutting down the production because they don't want the theater, you know, this historical theater, to be like, you know, engaged with something so crass, kind of, you know, like this this sort of thing, right? Um, but it just has this vibe that immediately, ah. Uh, I just love that. I, I, it's, it's almost about the world, right? Wait, wait, um, how how does just, the London Historical Society try and shut it down? Like, what, what's the mechanism that they do it with? Um, <laughs> they have like an a, the the theater itself is a historical theater. Okay. Oh, um, I might have heard about this. Is this like you know some like bureaucrat is like you're not zoned right for this or something like that? Uh, so so what it is is the theater itself has to be uh they they make alterations to the stage um and the alterations are not have up to, to be code. approved yeah, yeah are not have to be approved by the bureaucrat and they are not up to code but the dancers dance for the bureaucrat and she's so swept away in the moment that she approves it anyway um but then somebody goes over her head right um but then the thing that happens is they're not divorced um he like he she's not divorced from the 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 billionaire or whatever um and there's a piece of the legal settlement of like the prenup or whatever that basically says while the divorce proceedings are ongoing, you you still have access to your money, right? Um, but that access ceases if you damage the brand of the family, essentially. Um, and that's the thing that kicks in, right? Where it's like, oh, you have to stop the show. Um, they come and, and it's like it comes in on Friday, and they're like, you have to close the close the show. We're sending enforcers or whatever. Um, and Mike is the one who figures out. Oh well, if they're sending in, it's it's five p.m. on Friday. They're not going to send those enforcers until Monday. That means we put on the show Sunday night, baby. You know, and they like rush to get the show up and like in, in a production. But anyway, the, just like there's so much about the low level filmmaking. There's so much about like the acting that just like makes this film feel so so authentic. It was incredible to me just like watching. Uh, it's Selma Hayek and Channing Tatum. They just have real chemistry. And like, frankly, I think Channing Tatum has chemistry with everybody. Channing Tatum is like that meme in, com in the community episode where Jeff talks about how he has chemistry with Abed. And like the song plays and they show like the whatever. It's like, that's what Channing Tatum is. He just has fucking chemistry with everybody. He's the most charismatic actor working in Hollywood. Um, but I, you know, you just got, you just get, you just get sucked into it. There are these, um, there are these 
montages that are just filming the dances and they're so fun and upbeat. It's like the montages from the Oceans movies where, you know, where it's kind of, you have this like upbeat, uh, in the Oceans movies, it's a little bit older fashioned, right? It's like, it's kind of like jazz playing in this, it's it's, 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 it's a little more hip hop dance. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But instead of the instead of the montage being them planning for the heist, the montage is like them recruiting dancers, right? Um, and it's a mix of things, right? Where they're looking at ballerinas, um, and um, uh, they're 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 looking at like super well trained ballerinas, and they're looking at like street dancers on the streets on the street of London, right? Um, and Mike is and Mike is bringing them bringing them all in together and doing and doing this whole sort of thing. It is not a Seven Samurai esque ensemble picture, which is a little bit of what I was hoping. This is what the original Magic Mike and Magic Mike XXL are, right? Which is you know Magic Mike himself is sort of the centerpiece of the story, but like all of the other dancers in the company have their own personality have their own vibe they have their own stuff going on um you know you have i, I don't know how i'm gonna explain this you have big dick richie you have tarzan you have um matt bomer um is is playing oh, have uh, you a seen guy. The replacements with keanu the reeves as a quarterback yeah oh yeah and gene hackman is in that movie yeah. he's the coach right yeah 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 yeah, yeah. because i was like that's immediately what pops into my mind where you're talking yeah, it is, yeah. Um, it is. It is definitely. It is definitely sort of. Uh, it is definitely sort of a lot like that. Um, that that is not in this movie. It is really just about the true romance between Mike and Selma Hayek's character, um, Mendoza, um, Max, and uh, uh, and then the last thing I want to mention was the cinematography, which is some of the simplest I've ever seen in my life, but it's so good. It reminds me of Spotlight, right? Um, I, when I, when I saw Spotlight in 2016, before it won the Oscar, maybe 2017, I don't remember the year. Um, damn it. I didn't know Matt was in Magic Mike. Guess I have to actually watch it now. He's pretty great. Um, Spotlight is, uh, it's a very pragmatically shot film because it was shot by the first, a director. It was his first time shooting anything. Right. So it's a very cinema one-on-one, right? It's very, you know, straightforward, not a lot of crazy stuff going on, right? And the same thing is true for this movie, even if, even though it is done by, like, everyone would consider Steven Soderbergh, like, a master, right? Um, but he just points the camera at the actors and lets them go, right? He doesn't do, he doesn't do cuts. He's not cutting between the conversation. It's all happening in wides, right? But he has these really choice inserts that I, I was, they're so good. They're just so good. Right. Um, you know, like little moments where, you know, so for instance, there's a moment where Mike is bartending at the beginning of the movie. Um, and a girl comes up to him and she's like, Hey, I like, I know you or whatever. And he's like, Oh, I, you know, I have one of those faces, right. You probably don't. And she's like, did you go to, you know, did you go to state? Did you do whatever? They're having this conversation. It's all happening in the wide. And then there's a there's a clip, just like a small insert from the very first movie where Mike shows up to a sorority house as a cop, right? Um, but then he would he eventually does the stripper, and it's just that insert, and then it cuts back to the conversation, and she goes, "Oh my God, I know who you are," right? And it's like it's stuff like that, and it's all throughout the movie, and it's so good, and I love everything, right? Where ah, I, I could go on and on. I'm sorry, Magic Mike is the shit. 
watch it, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> it is, unfortunately, the worst of the three. Um, Magic Mike XXL is still the best one. Honestly, Magic Mike XXL is mostly the best one because of a few dance numbers that are transcendently good. Like, some of the best cinema of all time good, right? Have um, you seen the original? I have not seen RRR yet. It's still on Netflix, right? Fuck, I need to see you it. You do, because it has yeah. one of the best dance scenes that I've <laughs> ever fucking seen. You will know it when you see it. Um. Yeah, and then... Um, what was I saying? What was I doing? Uh, Magic Mike XSL has great dance numbers. Oh, yes. Max, Magic Mike XSL has some of the great dance scenes of all time, right? Um, and then the original Magic Mike, um, it does have some good stuff when it comes to like the dance scenes and everything, but it actually has a really just core underlying story that's really like strong and well-told, and Channing Tatum is just a really fucking good actor, and that's kind of it. Um, so that's where we are. That's what That's what we're doing. Yeah. That's Magic Mike. Fair. So, on my end of things, I also watched another movie. Um, also, not typically in what you would expect of the wheelhouse of two guys doing a podcast. I watched, uh, for Valentine's Day with my girlfriend, I watched Emma, um, which uh, was pretty good. Um, it's like uh, it's like Jane Austen, I think, is the, the original author. I don't know. I'm, I'm bad at um, this stuff. Uh, Emma movie. Yeah, uh, do yeah, it's Jane Austen. Uh, it was pretty good, right? Like, I it was very it's the new one, it's the one that came out in 2020. Um, sure, um, it uses language appropriate or period appropriate language, which made it kind of hard to follow. Um, my girlfriend's a person who, who watches movies with subtitles on, and I thought it was like very necessary for me to understand what the hell was happening just because, like, that way of speaking is you know foreign to me, right? I don't live in the 1800s um but uh uh it was super entertaining you know very archetypical story um uh something i didn't expect but um is very true the novel is emma's kind of a dick um and needs to like basically learn how to be like a reasonable person over the course of the story um uh apparently according to my girlfriend she is the most one of the most hated of the austin uh heroines um but that seems misplaced because, like, her, the story is her growing as a person into a person who who understands her limitations. Um, but uh, it's a it's a super super fun movie. Um, if you like, this is interesting. So, Mia, do you know Mia Goth? Uh, she plays uh, I only because my girlfriend's like, and that's Mia Goth. I'm like, who? Um, so she's one of the actors. Has she Emma. seen the 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 T West movies? T T West. Okay, okay. Um, this is like a like a film Twitter thing. So I think last year a movie came out called um, X, which is a horror movie, um, sort of in the vein of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre about she like pro- oh a- is is this the one where she's like the daughter and then she's also the mother in the thing? Maybe. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. So what the in the horror movie is? Um, they go to a like a like a like a Texas ranch to shoot a porno. And then they start getting killed or whatever. Um, and then the sequel to that, which is really a prequel, um, is called Pearl, where you learn the backstory of who is the kill, like the killer in that. Um, and there's a third one coming out called Maxine, um, but with three X's, like Max XXX Maxine. Um, and uh, Maxine is the you know is Mia Goth's character from 
X, right? Um, and uh, th- each of these movies have just gotten like a ton of attention. Like everybody loves these. Yeah, um, and she, Mia Goth is the is the heroine in all three. So yeah, she's definitely seen X. I don't know if she's seen Pearl. She wanted to see Pearl in theaters, and we never got around to seeing it. So okay, um, yeah, she may have seen it on her own. But yes, um, I think that's what she expected me to recognize her from. Um, but uh, I don't watch horror movies without a good reason to um so true yeah i do want to see this like trilogy because um you know it's i don't know it's uh it's interesting i guess but yeah but so if if you like period pieces um emma's great emma Emma also has like some beautiful i remember seeing the cinematography was good but not crazy good um and I, but I remember thinking like the set and the um, like the uh, what's what's like the set construction sets you know locations or whatever. I thought that was all very good, um, and uh, it's a classic you know it's a classic story. So if you like the book or if you like movies about 18th century women, I'm trying to think does it pass the Bechdel test? And it might not because like the whole movie is about courting, right? It's about like they're talking it like you know it's it's the the movie opens and Emma has effectively played matchmaker and made and gotten an old widower together with her governess um and they are happy and so and the story kind of revolves around um um uh Emma and uh, her friend that Mia Goth plays um who they're going like you know their station in life and who they're going to marry um and uh, also one of their one of their friends who is not really a romantic interest, um, uh, who I can't remember the uh, do Mister Knightley, who is like their neighbor essentially, um, uh, and just kind of like the the intrigue that goes all all throughout that, um, and how people deal with each other. Um, but it was good. It's very appropriate Valentine's Day movie um, if you're looking to watch it with someone special um hell yeah uh yeah yeah the other thing i watched uh is i finally caught up on stranger things um in season four of stranger things which you know it's good (laughs) i'm a little mad about it it's so basic right you know like it's 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 a very like basic bitch sort of opinion to say stranger things is good you know because it's like the most popular thing ever on netflix um but yeah it turns out that stranger things season four is uh is the real deal um and uh i guess i don't know it that they're the 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 tradition of them using D terms to refer to villains right the first season is the demogorgon in the second season it's the mind flayer in the third season it's vecna um of hand of vecna and eye of vecna fame um and uh and i really like that i thought that that was uh i thought that that was uh kind of neat and interesting are, um, are you familiar with yeah. the head of vecna meme Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you cut you cut off your your head to replace it with the head of Vecna, <laughs> and everybody just dies. Yeah, yeah. Because once you cut off your head, you die. Obviously. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Um. Yeah. There's a lot of good stuff in 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 season four that I thought was uh, that I saw thought was pretty pretty exceptional, especially because it feels like 
a season of television that I thought was going to be full of plot cul-de-sacs. Um, and they ended up bringing it together in a way that was really interesting and compelling. I was really surprised about that. Um, because one of the things I think that's probably happening a little behind the scenes from Stranger Things is um, it's expensive, right? All of those kids have blown up. Uh, you know, David Harbour uh, sort of tr translated that success into mainstream movie stuff, right? Obviously, he's doing Silent Night, um, Hellboy, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I just think Millie, Bob Millie Bobby Brown became, you know, big mainstream movie star off of, off of the success of Stranger Things. So I bet it's just kind of hard to get everybody in the same room to, to film or whatever. Um, and sort of halfway through the season, I was like, man, how are they going to, like, wrap all of this up? This sucks, right? Like, all of the – everybody is off doing their own thing, and it doesn't feel like anybody's doing the main plot except for a small group of people who are kind of progressing the main plot. Um, but uh, – in the last two episodes they really bring it home in a way that i didn't expect and was like you know what fucking kudos you guys you guys kind of nailed it um and everybody sort of uh everybody sort of got to the completion of their sort of arcs uh in a way that was that was really that was really sweet and cool so awesome. yeah Stranger Things 4 is good, I guess. Fine. I, I, I said it. I still haven't finished Andor. I, I've been sitting on the last episode of Andor, and I don't want to watch it because it was so good, and I loved it so much, and I don't want it to, to be over. <laughs> I know that feeling. Um, yeah. <sighs> yeah, Lou says it was nice not to be cash shine on the main plot while the stars are off doing other stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I liked the B plot. Or, I'm sorry. I liked the main plot probably the best of any of the uh of any of the stranger things plots sorry like i i i think strange things season one was was really good really transcendent filmmaking um or television making i guess um in terms of just like making a really gripping piece of television that lasts for like a full season um which you know I, they've captured that lighting in the bottle netflix a couple of times uh for me archive 81 was a good example of this uh which got fucking canceled uh mind hunter was a good example of this which also got fucking canceled um but you know stranger things is is that sort of you know just like once i started watching i could not put it down um, and season four was, was sort of back to that. Uh, but the actual sort of mystery and the storytelling of the mystery playing out in front of our eyes, um, was comp was compelling kind of on its own, which I thought was, was pretty great. Yeah. Very cool. Um, on my, what have, what have you been playing? What's your, what's your video gaming been like? Okay. So besides, wow, which we talked a little bit about, um, uh, I actually didn't play a ton of WoW this week just because of the way things worked out. But I've been playing two things primarily. God of War, still going on that Ragnarok grind. Um, super fun. And I'm liking where the story's going. Um, basically, Kratos and Atreus um, kind of have like a moment where they're like kind of like kind of like typical rebellious kid thing. And Kratos starts to like fall back into being the God of War. Um, and uh, I guess spoilers, they eventually reconcile. Um, I'm not at the end of the game yet, <coughs> but um, I got the new, uh, there's a new weapon in the game. Um, it is very cool. Um, I do not have the patience for the trials. Uh, like there's like, um, there's basically combat trials that you can do that's optional content. And I just don't have the patience for them this time around that I did the first time. Um, I don't know if I'll go back and finish them at some point, but at this point I'm like, I just want to do some more story stuff. Um, 
Uh, but uh, it's super good. Recommend that. Um, and then recently I picked up, it was on sale. Um, did you ever play Synthetic? Nope. All right. So the the sequel, Synthetic 2, is in early access. It's, it's Synthetic, but with a K on the end. Um, and you basically play as like, it's like a roguelite where you're like a little robot that's like, it's like, um, it's kind of like a twin stick shooter, except it's not really twin stick because you have to like aim, you have to aim distance with your mouse. Um, you can't play with the controller, but it sucks. So I wouldn't recommend it. Um, but this game has, it's like a very fr- frantic paced. It's like frenetic combat, but it has some of the best kind of like, you know, how we talk about like the kinetics of like shooters and how that can like, that feel can make like a huge difference. This yeah, is, the kinesthetics. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, kinesthetics. Yeah, that's the correct word. This is a third-person isometric game, and it has some of the best kin- uh, uh, kinesthetics in a game that I have seen. Right, like your fucking shot hits a weak point, the screen just goes like bang. There's like a huge boom sound. Stuff goes everywhere. It's fucking glorious. It is amazing. Um, it is still pretty early in development, so it's still a little rough around the edges. First game was also the same type of thing. Like, it is basically like an upgraded version of the first game. I'm really enjoying it. I don't know, like, if I'll put like a ton of hours into it yet, but like, it's one of those things. It's like, it was on sale, picked it up in early access. I might play it some more as uh, time goes on. Um, yeah, I remember when it came out because this was last year. Um, I remember when it came out. So, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it's still in early access. So, um, it's a, it's 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 a, it's taken my kind of spot for like games that like I would like to sit down and play for like half hour, hour only and like just do a run. Right. Sure. Um, I'm, oh, oh man. Ugh. Yeah. The, my version of that has been Zoetti. I've been playing so, which is one of our titles. I've been playing so much Zoetti. I have so many thoughts about roguelikes now. Like it is, it is kind of insane. Um, <laughs> you can do because, the roguelites, road lights, technically, because yeah. Well, the thing I want to do, we, uh, the thing I want to do is I want to do an episode on Zoetti and on Australia. I want, I want you to play both of those games, um, and uh, and we can do, and we can do episodes, uh, sort of on them because I think like the game design behind these, these are really interesting and compelling. Um, I didn't think that initially about Zoetti, but as the game, like I, when I was playing like early builds of, uh, of the game, I was like, oh yeah, this is pretty like good, pretty serviceable. Um, we'll see what happens. And then they ended and they added all in all of their content over the course of the development cycle. So, um, playing, playing with that now is just really compelling stuff. And I kind of can't put it down. <laughs> I get that. That's like, that's, you know, that's part of why like Gungeon was my version of that for a very long time. Enter yes, absolutely. Yes. How many hours do I have on Enter the Gungeon? I'm curious now. Um, I'm also still playing Marvel <sighs> Snap, um, which is still fun. Yeah, I've been playing a little bit of uh, I've been playing a little bit of Hearthstone. Uh, did I talk about playing Hearthstone last week? Do you yeah, know? Guess did how I many hours I have into the Gungeon? Over five hundred. No, 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 not no, nowhere that bad. I have really? I have, Are you kidding? I I always thought it was going to be one of your number one games. I yeah. think it's 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 up there. It's one hundred and twenty four. So that's like that's like more really? than I put into most games, right? Like the like I don't play a lot of like games sure. that aren't like my like mainline game. Um, yeah. For for that much time, but yeah. Um, Anyway, you were you were you were saying before I interrupted you. Uh, what was I saying? Um, what, what was I saying? <laughs> uh, you were saying something about. Uh, we were talking about gungeons. We were talking about roguelikes. 
Uh, oh, I'm talking about Hearthstone. Um, did, I, did I talk about Hearthstone controller and Hearthstone right you now? Did, you did. You did last week. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. Because uh, because the meta changed, um, and the meta is more creature focused, and all of a sudden, when you know it. That makes Control Warrior pretty good, right? Because one of the things that Control Warrior has always been very good at is clearing, you know, clearing boards with stuff like Brawl or or, or whatever else, right? Destroying a lot of minions at once um, in in sort of creature focused decks. And there, this deck I think is bad um, in a true sense. But I have gotten the coolest, dumbest win conditions out of it. Right. Um, so, for instance, there's a card in Warrior right now um, called Rokara. It's a hero card, and it equips a weapon. And that weapon is the Unstoppable Force. It is a five attack weapon. But the unique thing that it does is when you attack it, it forces the minion you attack to attack your opponent. Right. So, if your opponent plays a 20 power minion, that minion goes to your opponent's face, basically. Right. Um, and one of the big decks in the format right now is called Unholy Death Knight, which is summoning a bunch of like little zombies. And then those zombies, when they die, they leave behind corpses and then Death Knights can use those corpses in order to do stuff later in the game. And the big, big payoff card for that is called Lord Marogar, um, the first boss from Ice Crown Citadel. And he raises all of your corpses, right? And for each one that can't fit on your board, a Hearthstone board can only have seven slots. So for each corpse that can't fit on your board, it gives another corpse plus two, plus two, but at random, right? Um, so what happens is you have like 25, 30 corpses. You play Lord Marogar, spawn a bunch of car, a bunch of guys, you know, maybe one of them gets really tall. It's like a 15, 15 or whatever. And I keep burning out these death knights because they play Lord Marogar and I just slam Rokara and I hit them in the face with their own guy for 15 for lethal. And it's the most satisfying thing I have like ever done in any, in any game of Hearthstone ever. There have been some games where it's just like, I feel like I don't have any outs. I'm dead in the water. No way I win this, right? And then they play Marogar, and they think they're winning. This is the thing. They think they're going to win. They think they're so smart, right? You know? <laughs> they have this huge, overpowering board, and they literally, like, hand you lethal. Um, oh, oh, what, what, what a world we live in. Um, honestly, it's not great. Uh, the state of the state of warrior is pretty bad if you don't want to play in rage warrior which to be fair is pretty fun um but uh but i have been keeping up with with hearthstone because of um because of all this stuff and it's the other game that i'm playing i guess the other thing i would mention is that in wow stuff we are we are cracking into those plus 20 spots and it is hard uh but also very gratifying i i, I suppose have you done anything with crafted gear um outside of like engineering like have you crafted like sought out a crafter to make an item for you crafted gear um you i had you make my fist weapon um oh that's true you did <laughs> i forgot about that <laughs> uh, but uh i have been doing some little stuff the problem is is that like i don't know people right like and the people in the you know the leather worker by the leather worker i'm close with lindley isn't particularly like well geared up for it so it's like uh, i guess i gotta put something either on the open market or try and find someone i've been doing it with um with public orders sometimes uh which you know your results may vary right like sometimes you get a good person sometimes you get like a mad person right and not that i you know blame them right i take the orders too if i couldn't but um i have not i don't have my second adornment or whatever it's called um uh embellishment embellishment yep. yeah um which i think i'm supposed to get the um 
Uh, the lariat is probably what they're going to yeah, tell you yeah, to get. Yeah, um, I, I am a, I am a conscientious objector. Do we talk about this? I'm a conscientious no. objector to the lariat. It bothers me. Why is that? The lariat is so far and away good. It's just way out of balance with okay. all the other crafted items. Um, and it gives a very straightforward, like, uncomplicated sort of bonus basically oh that's not true the bonus itself is pretty complicated it keys off of all of the gems that you have to give you every once in a while you like roll um uh like a like a passive buff according to the different gems that you have kind of thing um and so depending on what you're socketing your your buff is going to be different and i do think that that's kind of interesting um but the the actual force of that buff and its uptime is just way out of line uh compared to most other crafting gear like you know any any you if we were to take any embellishment and say this is going to add 100 dps 200 dps right like the elemental area it adds 500 dps everything else adds 50 kind of thing right um which i find very frustrating and i hate it and so i am i am not doing that and i have instead crafted two pieces of blacksmithing gear for myself and i like it and i'm holding to it so uh, yeah yeah the only uh engineering gear that can hold embellishments are is are the guns um uh because well yeah everything else is uh louis reminding us that we've got raids soon um uh that's true speaking of world of warcraft um but yeah no i've been uh i've been i i have been enjoying my uh my engineering stuff. I actually have. I just today I um, recrafted my my uh, eyepiece into a uh, into a four hundred five, so that's nice. Um, so I've kind of maxed that out. I don't know if there's a way to get them higher. Um, is that? Do you know? Is there is there a way to get them higher than four hundred five? Yep. Uh, so mythic bosses and mythic plus dungeons at plus sixteen or higher give you a different version of the item okay. that you combine yeah. to get the infusion. Uh, so for instance, all of my gear is plus sixteen, okay. uh, or I'm sorry, is uh, four eighteen. Um, my crafted gear. I have a I have a crafted mace, crafted bracers, uh, a belt, and uh, legs, and those are all at four eighteen. Because of uh, because of yeah, this crafting, this right. crafting. Maybe, maybe I'll have to jump in and try and do some mythic pluses at some point. But I, I, I suspect I will be distracted by the siren song of games that are not WoW for a, a period yep. of time. Um, yeah, I mean, plus 16s, uh, like, a lot of what goes into timing plus 16s is just really knowing, like, the keys or whatever. Um, and so... Um, you know, yeah. But, like, at, at a certain point, it seems as though, like, we got to 18s, 19s. I have a 19 right now. We haven't timed any 20s yet, but the goal is to time a 20 for all of them uh, this this season. Uh, we'll probably be working on that this week and next week kind of thing, right? Um, and because the gear scales up to that point, I actually kind of feel like we're, we're kind of in, in striking distance um, because there's a lot of upgrades that we can still make toward, like, towards that, that level, which has to be fair been really like fun and good one of the things that kind of sucked about mythic plus last season was um it just um kind of peters out at uh you know it like it petered out at the 15 mark right you got to plus 15 that was that was your cap essentially for for like gear and stuff now that cap goes up to plus 20 right um so running the really really hard keys is still giving you gear to help running really hard keys be you know kind of like better so yeah very cool all right, well, anyway. we probably should go to raid. So I'm going to say um, uh, 
If you'd like to email us about any of the things we talked about on the show, you can email us at VerseFlyGames at gmail.com or podcasts.com. You can follow us at twitch.tv slash VerseFlyGames. Um, also, youtube.com slash VerseFlyGames when the OBS decides to cooperate. Um, yeah, rate review us forever. We also have a Patreon. You know, all the good stuff. But do you have anything else you can promote? I have nothing else I am looking to promote. All right. Well, in that case, I'm going to say until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.